Hello, friends, and welcome to the second season of the Strange Tonic Podcast. We are glad to have you back. We hope we haven't left you uh, wanting too much for this podcast, but maybe we have. Um, it's been a busy summer for me as far as work and personal life. Uh, I know it's been busy for Michelle as well, and I'll let you her explain that if she feels like it. But we're back. We're happy to be back. We're happy to have you back. We are happy to be featuring, again, the music of our friends, Pan Astral. This is Gulf of Mexico off of their current most recent album, Suburban Blues, which might not be their recent album for long, as if you check out their website, panastral.com. They've got a new single up. They also have a new show date, October 19th at the High Dive in Denver, where they'll be releasing at least that one single probably some more music so please check it out if you can to this recording um it's probably one of our best conversations yet even if the recording is sort of bad i i I apologize for the technical issues the audio issues what we call the voice of god problems on here michelle and i recorded the first episode ever where we're in the same room while she was visiting from denver uh, my place here in suburban Seattle, and uh, I just didn't get it right, so that's on me, but I feel the conversation is really, really good, so if you are able to just sit through it, I think you'll enjoy it, at least I hope you will, and I hope it's not too unbearable, but from there, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, thank you, thank you for supporting us, thank you, thank you, thank you, Pan Astral. And with that, let's get to it. Well, we're just going to roll with it because we're in the same room. <laughs> and even though we can't use our headphones, which we've been trying to do for, as you said, an hour and a half, we're just going to start this podcast off. Cheers, Michelle. Cheers, Noel. To the second season. Indeed. I'll get into this when I do the intro, but obviously we've been on a hiatus because summer, work, other things. And yeah, it was an accidental hiatus, not really a planned. I don't know about you, though, like I could use the time off. Yes. <laughs> so without further ado, I mean, there's really no other place to start than the fact that John McCain is dead. Indeed. And I said that with some sort of like comedic setup, and I apologize for that. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you didn't mean it. As I laugh. Um, no, I, I actually texted my friend about that point you made earlier tonight that you worry that he's the last Republican leader that will actually occasionally do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I feel the same way. Yeah. I've never been a huge fan of his policies or his philosophies, but I still, I've always thought he had, you know, a fairly large amount of human decency within him. He was always a pretty easy person to respect, even if you didn't agree yeah. with him all of the time. And uh, I feel like he was the, just about the only one in the GOP left with any semblance of uh, dignity or honor or whatever other <laughs> descriptor you want to use. I mean, yeah, he, you know, 
including his former colleague from Arizona, Jeff Flake, who's retiring, was one of the few people that would routinely go out of their way to at least not defend Trump. Um, I don't know if you saw it. We can pull it up here since we're in the same room. Booyah. Well, and Jeff Flake, as so many people have pointed out, he is also quitting. Yes. Whereas John McCain tried to stay in there through brain cancer that took his life, you know. So Senator Chuck Grassley the other day. Um, yeah, and look at this. Thanks to admin for leadership. What? Where is the one? With all these abbreviations. There's one on here where like, he uses just all sorts of crazy abbreviations to... Um, oh no, I should have pulled this up earlier. But to call out sessions and other stuff like that. I used to think at least Grassley, like, yeah, he was thoroughly Republican and thoroughly like, you know, was going to vote that way. But at least he seemed to be like, realize that Trump was a shithead. And anymore... It just kind of seems like he's doing what the rest of them are doing, which is being Trump toadies. Mm -hmm. They're going out on the road, and they're going, um, well, we want to talk about stuff, but you guys always think about Trump, so you ask about. And it's, yeah. So, rest in peace, Leonard McCain. You, I agree. Like, I, I think on the podcast before, I've said things like, he oftentimes did the right thing when it seemed politically expedient. But, but even in, in that, that context, context, it's still better than what we have going on right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. It would be politically expedient for a lot of people to move to the center and to not be Trump toadies, but here we are. Yeah. yeah. And, and even, 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 you know, you know at the end of the day, he was still a politician, but in so many different ways, he really did try to serve our country mm -hmm. in a very positive way. And, and I think that that's... That type, that type of patriotism, patriotism is going to be missed because there's, there's not, not many politicians like that anymore. They, no. they talk it, but they don't walk it. It's kind of sad that he's gone now. Perhaps we were too harsh, or at least uh, perhaps Republicans were better for a while, um, that we wanted more out of McCain and not less. Yeah. yeah. I think of that, what you said about Jeff Flake is, I follow him on Twitter, and it's really funny to see him like, go anti-Trump and get attacked by Russian bots, MAGA types, and then liberals who are going, why did you vote for his tax policy? It's Jeff Flake. Of course he's going to vote for the tax policies. He believes in that stuff. Like, he's going to vote for it. So you can sit there and bemoan that a conservative is going to vote. He's not a moderate conservative, which is another weird thing that's happened in the age of Trump is a guy who is a fiscal just crazy conservative in Jeff Flake because he's decent is a moderate. That shouldn't really be a thing. That sounds really fucked up. Yeah. And I also want to make sure that I point out there because I'm pretty sure that friend of text your remarks do send something back. I haven't checked just my phone somewhere else. Oh, there it is. Trump, do not disturb. But um, whenever, uh, whenever you go, you like, go hey, like, hey, the GOP, GOP sucks, sucks, and you tell it to a conservative or a Republican, like, I don't, I don't suck. suck. And a lot of and times, a lot I'm, of not times I'm not saying you do suck. suck. I'm saying, saying that, that 
if you vote for Trump and support Trump, you probably suck. But if you actually believe these things, we can disagree. I think oftentimes uh, I'm being judgy. Apparently, uh, late night podcasts and uh, whiskey equal me being more judgy than I try to be on a podcast. But uh, I think that you're just, if you believe those things, I think you're misguided. But at least I think you're honest and you're, you're, you're like, I believe these things and you're consistent and you say don't support policies that blow a massive hole of the debt, a deficit, like the tax cuts. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Conservative GOP listeners, I'm not calling you an asshole or a shithead unless you support the asshole shithead you without any type of justification for it. Like, just because... What about Hillary? What about Hillary? What about Hillary? What about ism? Or I saw someone refer to this one time when someone threw what about ism an accusation back in someone's face for doing what about ism. Mm -hmm. And this person responded with like an incoherent thing of which I didn't understand, but the other person responded with Ah, so you're you're fighting back against accusations of whataboutism with what about whataboutism. Like, <laughs> and just saying that, I don't know if you saw it, it made my head just kind of like hurt. Like, what? How do we get here? Confusedness. But I feel like I've been controlling the conversation so far. So what do you want to talk? Um, what do I want to talk about? Uh, well, it was a great week. <laughs> uh, An interesting week. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's, that's one, one way, way to put it. it. Especially, um, <laughs> this, this, uh, fateful, what was it, Tuesday, I think? Was Tuesday, I've the been the so busy, yeah. The Manafort conviction and, and Cohen guilty plea. Same day. <laughs> I think it was within the same hour. I feel like, like it's Both like... stories broke within minutes of each other, and the world lost its mind, understandably. Yeah. So it, it's just interesting to see what the fallout is going to be from that. Especially because the first one I, the first one that came down was uh, Manafort's 8 out of 18 yes. counts being convicted on. With the one holdout. The one person holdout <laughs> that fucked everything up. No, it's it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, eight federal convictions is is no that's no small feat. And the other interesting part is that it, it's not that he was found not guilty of the other counts. They they couldn't come to a decision. Therefore, the government has the right to re-prosecute those 10 counts. Mm -hmm. So even though he has a second federal trial, it's a state trial, yeah, it's, I'm sorry, not a second federal trial, a second state trial starting within the next month, uh, the prosecutors for this first trial are more than, more than free and willing to go to trial again on the other 10 counts that he was not uh, acquitted of. Um, so we're, we're going to be seeing Manafort, Manafort in court for a very long time and then in prison for a very much longer time after that. Yeah, and it should be noted that with uh, all of the 
talk, not talk, possible just shooting the shit regarding uh, pardons. You know, when Giuliano's like, well, he was just sort of like talking about pardons in this vague, like, you know, when you just like you talk about the idea of things. Like, it was a philosophical conversation about pardons. Like, what is a pardon? Is a pardon good? I don't know. Um, but first of all, Trump doesn't think. It's true. He is incapable of philosophizing. Philosophizing. That's one of my favorite like words. I almost couldn't say it. Get your word a little bit. But yeah, he is incapable of having a conversation like that. So you know what, Rudy? I'm well. Jesus. But Rudy's a whole other story. But did you see what I've got pulled up here? That like the lone holdout basically said that she felt that Mueller was railroading, not Manafort, but basically was uh, targeting Manafort and harassing Manafort. And so the rest of the jurors were just exasperated by her logic. And so, as you said, there's a good chance that if they take these other counts back to trial, especially in this case where, from what I read, the judge was going out of his way to be harder on the prosecution, mm-hmm. which I read a, like a lawyer uh, wrote up a legal analysis. Let's use that, like not a lawyer thingy, where <laughs> the uh, author is a lawyer who's done, he's been a prosecutor and a defense attorney in federal court, said that when that happens, it's usually a sign that the prosecution's case is really good. Because if he needs to take it to the defense, it's not a hostile judge. It's just the like, all right, let's make sure you got your ducks in a row with all your evidence. So if they take these back to court, that means he's probably found guilty of all counts, which doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, but in regards to the pardon thing, this next state trial, Trump can't pardon him. And so, which I'm pretty sure was like, let's just pardon, take care of it. No! <laughs> Apart from that being, like, more evidence to obstruction, which, you know, Trump keeps complaining, as well as people like Grassley, that they're not investigating collusion, they're investigating obstruction. Well, pardoning people who have evidence against you is what, Michelle? The definition of obstruction. Obstruction of justice. And, oh, there's, on the video there, they showed more tweets, which are just adding to... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not being handled well at all. No. And, and, and to your, your point, point, too, about the, the incredibly tough judge in this first trial against Manafort, he was, he was, he was like, <laughs> not only was he hard, he's a particular character, and they call the district that he is in as a judge the rocket docket. Oh, wow. I haven't wow. heard that before. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we talk about, talk about our justice system and oftentimes due process is kind of uh, not very well achieved because it takes so long to get the court system. That is not what this district does. And this, and this, this judge was by no means slowing things down. It was, you know, Manafort, his lawyers would ask for like four months of an extension. He'd be like, you get a week. And 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 that is very true. true. So it's not, it's not only being hard on the prosecution to make sure that they have an airtight case, but but also to make sure that um, these eight convictions that he does have are very very unlikely to be overturned on appeal later. So it's not just that the prosecution has the right to re-prosecute ten counts that there was no they were essentially mistrials in all of those those cases. 
Basically, Basically it, 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 they did such a thorough job, job that if, if and when Manafort's lawyers decide to reveal these eight convictions, that's, that's, it's, it's going to go fucking nowhere. nowhere. Well, and <laughs> forgive me if I'm wrong, and like, or should correct me if I'm wrong, I should say. Um, hasn't he had problems paying attorneys recently? Oh, I haven't lied about that. Okay, and so we're all hearing okay. different snippets of all of this whirlwind news about Manafort. Well, I know that... There's been some, like, Manafort's the real victim here because they froze a bunch of his assets that were at least connected to this money laundering. <laughs> and so he's Which had... was, like, all of it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, the fact that his friends often describe Manafort as a human Ponzi scheme, Ugh. where it was just... he was, They say he's not a bad guy. It's just that he's... He wants nice things, mm -hmm. and he doesn't really have a way to get them mm -hmm. other than... Being a criminal. <laughs> you know, doing things like dodging, not paying taxes, or... Uh, Filtering money from Russian oligarchs yeah. through Ukraine. <laughs> and buying shit you can't afford, then going, um, I'm out of money, what do I do now? Yeah. That's why people keep going with, <laughs> you know, well, he was working for my campaign for free. Fuck that he was. Yeah. He was expecting something, mm -hmm. whether it was a well-paid you know, placement within the party, like elites as far as lobbying gig rnc something like that he was expecting something well not only was he expecting something but i it's also been suggested that he was expecting forgiveness because he had owed tens of millions tens of millions of dollars to a couple of putin's thugs in uh, ukraine and russia and he had no way to pay any of it back especially when in 2014 the president of ukraine was run out of the country um, who was who he worked for. So it wasn't even that he was expecting something and he was working for free. It's that, well, I'll let you off the hook for your debt if you go work for the Trump campaign because this is what Russia wants. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the long, like, implication that's been suggested. I don't know if, it, if that's true or how true or if we're ever going to have proof of that, but that's, a, but that's the other suggestion for why he went to work for Trump when he had been out of American politics for... At least a decade at that point. And it's worth noting that who is his former partner? Roger Stone. Boom, boom. Yep. Give me Roger Stone. Who, yes, Roger Stone is having all sorts of his own fun right now. Oh, oh please, please elaborate. Uh, I don't even know if we can get into it. He's being subpoenaed. He's, uh... Let's also note that you know because all of this is terrible Watergate, Roger Stone has a Nixon tattoo on his back. Nixon's face, and actually, you might know. I think you probably can get Roger Stone more than I am. I just hear snippets on the radio. Okay, well, we'll let's come back to that because I really want to, based on our conversation from last night, and I'm gonna tie this in also with uh, our conversation last night about Trump and his going against flippers, which that makes it sound like a <laughs> which oh my gosh, I just thought of this. <laughs> do, do, do. I don't know if we can find it that fast, but I didn't realize what he was talking about. But on like Friday morning, after Trump had did his thing of like flipping, should be went against flippers, he posted a GIF, uh, or GIF GIF, whatever you want you want to go with, of just a dolphin in the water doing this. Yeah, I was like, what? What, what, what you doing, Jake? Jake? Oh, I see. It's Flipper. Mm. So, you know, we were talking about people like Roger Stone and Trump and 
this fella here talking like the mooch talking like wannabe goodfellas cast members and just being complete that sounds mean complete douchebags let me go with that because anyone who like i love mafia movies i love the sopranos but i don't watch that and go man those guys are fucking cool i go those guys are fucking losers <laughs> like they're parasites that's all they are and they they're misogynist they're, they're more than just parasites they're worse than that um but with uh in regards to trump again threatening to fire jeff sessions via twitter but according to a report i saw when he met with Jeffrey, or sorry, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, the topic never came up. He never talked about any of that stuff because he's afraid of uh, confrontation. So the mooch is warning Trump not to fire Sessions, which I think is echoes of Watergate and echoes of Nixon didn't fire Spiro but he resigned, and that's true. And Sessions, for all of his flaws, is a well-respected senator in his party, in particular within the South, and Spiro Agnew was, while not, he's from Maryland, not technically a Southern, I suppose, was a segregationist, and uh, Sessions certainly is... A segregationist. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find a nice way to put it. No, no. No, there's no nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, I, I, I just saw this right now. I haven't read it, but I was like, hmm, the mooch is, uh, we, we can't escape Watergate. And, uh, well, and that's, that's, what that's what it's coming to. Uh, so, so let's let's circle it back, back too. Mm-hmm. So we so talked about Manafort. Let's, let's talk about Cohen. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> we should. Because yeah. that's that's the, that's the other thing from Trump's private, private lawyer for what fifteen years. His fixer, his fixer, who threatened to do disgusting things to journalists when they you know printed poor things about Trump press. Wrote a letter to Bill Maher. He was singing like a song. And I mean, that's how Nixon, Nixon came down. down. Everybody knows about mm-hmm. Dean finally, finally talking. talking. And, and, and uh, now he's, a, he's the John, John Dean, Dean of uh, Trump land. Which is also the very Trump version of John Dean. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, John Dean is kind of thought of as like the hero that brought down Nixon. But, but he was, he not, was really not really a popular, popular guy at the time, and he spent a lot of time, time in prison, too. <laughs> so it's not like he cleared himself of all you know, persecution or prosecution at this point. And that's the, and that's the other thing. Like, with, with Cohen, Cohen, he pled guilty. guilty. He didn't he have didn't a cooperation agreement with the government. So it's not even like, oh, well, you testify and tell us everything you know, and we'll cut you a deal that's not at all, at all what happened it was more like um he finally wised up and has some decent lawyers and said you better you better start talking or you're going to go to prison for longer mm-hmm. than what you would get if you just started talking 
Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, did you read or hear anything about the transcript of his uh, guilty plea in court? Uh, I did hear that he said that he paid off Stormy Daniels, uh, Stephanie Clifford. Uh, no, it wasn't her. It was the, the uh, McDougal, McDougal, the okay. other woman. Yes, at the behest of the candidate for under yeah. under the direction okay. of a candidate for federal office. Those were the mm -hmm. words that he used. So again, I say this guy wised up and he got himself some damn good lawyers mm -hmm. because the names were never dropped. But that's that is what his plea or uh, his guilty plea said yep. at the direction of a candidate for federal office. They knew it was a campaign violation because it was specifically a payout to affect the outcome of the election. And I believe this was on the Trump Inc. podcast. They were taking questions from uh, listeners. Okay. And someone called in and was basically saying he's only doing the guilty plea to hurt Trump. It's all bullshit. And he's just, he's, he's, he's been addicted and he has next to crime. And the response was, that's not how jurisprudence works. That's not how prosecutors work. Mm -hmm. They're not going to take, they, okay, let's, let's not like try and be overly sanctimonious here. They're not going to take a plea agreement or guilty plea agreement that where they feel the guy, or let's correct my pronouns here, the person mm -hmm. might be doing something like that mm -hmm. unless there is overwhelming evidence to prove that there is actual guilt there. Exactly. They're not going to go, yeah, um, you killed this person. And just think about this. This isn't the wire. This isn't the television show. Gonna, you killed this guy. Yeah, sure. Just make sure this guy goes down for it. He's facing this for a relatively small campaign finance violation. He's facing some decent prison time. Yeah. So <laughs> I liked your point earlier today that we shouldn't lionize him. We, we shouldn't you know, canonize him, any of that stuff. He's still a two-bit thug who has a law degree. But as they were saying on that podcast, this isn't what this is. Like, this isn't Michael Cohen. Although he is jilted. He, he talked to Trump's chief of staff. This is a guy who got caught and went, he's got some good lawyers. Uh-oh. And because of the things that he's done for Trump, and for himself, Trump wasn't about to extend the same pardon olive branch to him as he's apparently trying to do with Cohen. Cohen, sorry, excuse me, Manafort. Um, I was trying to pull up, and I must have deleted it when I screwed up with the reformat earlier. Oh, oh for the for the blog? Yeah, I was trying to pull up your like re reliving Nixon like from Futurama thing. You wrote like, like a year ago. Oh, yeah. I wrote that before we even did our first mm -hmm. recording. Yeah. So I was trying to pull that up. Like, we're here. <laughs> this is it. This is Nixon's head on top of a Transformers body. We have Trump unprompted bringing up John Dean in a tweet, throwing himself into this Watergate narrative, which isn't the first time he's done it. He's said this is worse than Watergate when he accused Obama of, how did he say it again? The like tapped, but he like spelled it wrong somehow. Oh, oh just, yeah. You know, he tapped, or the, what did he say? He, two Ps, right? But there wasn't tapped, it was like tapped. 
There we go. <laughs> there were taps on my phones. Yeah, yeah. It's like, this is worse than Watergate. There was a perfect tweet. This is all like, we're talking about stuff that just happened within the last week. Let's not forget that the week before, Omarosa's book came out, along with her her audio, audio recording of some, some of the shit going down that she's, she's talking about. about. So, so somebody, somebody put out a brilliant tweet, tweet like, he blamed, he blamed Obama, Obama yeah. for tapping his phone. Really, it was his lawyer and other roads that were tapping. Like, like illegally, illegally recording, recording, not illegally per se, but recording him. It's like, the man is so full of shit. You probably saw this because I think they talked about it in the Pod Save America or an episode recently, mm-hmm. where Maggie Haberman came out after these recordings were released and said, oh, no, this wasn't the source. So where they've like been getting like these recordings and leaks from, like, no, that's not Omarosa. And I guess you could say that's misdirection, but that would be unethical journalism. Right, right. And I don't think we can... If the source, we, we, we can we can critique Maggie Haberman. Yes, yes. But, but I don't I don't I don't think dishonesty like that. No, and it's traditionally a thing in journalism where if a source burns themselves, you're like, that's my source, done. Because you don't want to like ever have it be like, no, oh, that wasn't my source. Well, no, well, no if, you, if, you, if you burn a source like, like that yourself, yourself you're never going to get anybody to talk to, mm-hmm. talk to you ever again as a journalist. But if they so, burn themselves, so that way they know, like, yeah, yeah. if you come out and said, like, I got this stuff, and the person goes, yep, you were the source. Because that would actually help all of us. So this doesn't really you know, do Haberman any good to lie about it. So, yeah, that's well, and then, well, and then you, know, you know, we all we all we all want to hear the N word too, too. too. One that one that Amarosa said that she heard, mm-hmm. but, that she, but that she doesn't have. And, and so that's so that's, that's Amarosa kind of confirming what Haberman is saying, at least as far as where some of this information is coming from. There's somebody else out there that has it. And this is a whole nother topic, which we'll I can get into right now. But as far as because what I want to lead into this with. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who people keep saying she's going to come out of this with absolutely no credibility, which is true for 70% of the electorate. For 30%, the the Trump floor, Mm -hmm. the Fox News viewers, she can probably be very popular for as long as she wants to be, as long as she keeps peddling in this nonsense and this fantasy land of, well, that's a bad fantasy. Trumpism. Yeah, uh, sure. But no, like, they asked her, uh, can you confirm that this tape doesn't exist and that he hasn't used the N-word, at least I think recently? And she balked at it. It was like, nope. Uh, like, I, I'm not, I, I can't confirm that or whatever. And it's like, which, this leads me, to guess, to my larger question, and they talked about this on several podcasts. Do you think it would matter to the electorate as a whole, would they turn on, like, would, would his floor disappear if a, such a tape came out? And that's a tough I, question, I'm sorry. Well, because I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about it honestly for, for a second or two. two. I, I, I wish it would, would but I don't, I don't think it would. would. I, 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 I don't, don't think, think it would matter, matter to them, them because, because 
if it did, the pussy tape, the pussy grabbing thing would have meant more. Um, it just Which it, it ties into the Stormy Daniels payment. Yeah. Because like that was about to come out after. after yeah. I'm sorry, but continue. No, I mean, that's... I, I, I wish something like that would matter, but I don't, I don't think it would because the people who have still stood behind him and stuck, stuck with him and all of his like horrible things he has said and done over the last two years plus, plus. Yeah. plus. I mean, I'm, just as two years in power, in power. as president, um, it's amazing. The world has not been exploded. Exploded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At this point, but I, I unfortunately don't think it would. And it, it would, it would make it a little harder though for people who say, oh, "I'm not racist," and he's not racist. That would be much harder to defend, to defend against. Like, how can you possibly yeah. be defensible against that? But you know, the N word. A lot of people still use it. That's true, and um, it should be noted that I have conservative friends that believe it or not i've got conservative friends or as a uh, guy I used to podcast with would go you have friends what um who have asked me before in regards to jeff sessions and trump how are these guys racist and essentially it boils down to they haven't Basically, just set the N word, like as if that is really the, the, the only mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I agree with you. I don't really think it'll matter to the people that will never see supporting him. Mine's almost a little bit more cynical in that, but almost in like the same vein as yours, where these are people that probably still have used the word, but have at least had some. Uh, compunction about using the word public folks i just wanted to jump in here while michelle and i took a quick break to thank you for sticking out the terrible audio problems and technical difficulties michelle and i are having trying to record in the same room which would think be easy but uh it was not as easy as we thought if you are an audio engineer or know an audio engineer who's willing to help us out please shoot me an email at nolmack at thestrangetonic.com. Also, you know, do you have a business or charity or something you want us to support? Um, shoot us an email there as well because we're willing to do it. We're not trying to make money. We'd like to make money, but we're not trying to make money right now. We're just trying to help out our favorite causes, our friends, our families, and businesses associated with any of those. So if that sounds interesting, again, shoot me an email at Mac at the strange tonic.com and with that let's get back to the conversation and we are back oh well that's cool i can insert an actual pause there because like this is going to be like it actually takes it away oh yeah so it breaks it up nice okay because we are back after um gatsby tried to chew on michelle's hairbrush because Doggo. again <laughs> we're actually in the same room i know for the start of the second season season two and he's season back two. And usually he just attacks me and right now he's attacking michelle yeah because he's quick attacking his own 
He's our unofficial third podcast uh, host. You should just hear him attack the trash can. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so we were sessions. Oh, that's right. How can someone be racist if they don't use the N word? Which what... is such a ridiculous question, like on its face. But let's go there. Okay. Let's talk about it. Um. Well, let me just finish off what point I was making first and let's go to that was that I think because there's such just not even like sycophants but like people like Trump fans they think he's this tough guy even though he's not and most of the people who like flock to him are not actual alpha males like they say they're betas they're people who like to follow somebody else so what worries me Apart from the fact I don't think he'll do much to... He might lose in 2020 because of it. He might lose some support in swing states because of it. But it just bothers me that floor will not go away. Mm -hmm. Is I think people will start using it openly. Mm -hmm. Because as we've seen, whenever he erodes another level down, Mm -hmm. everyone goes with him. And so the... Pussy tape quickly became. Oh, this is hilarious! Like, why is this hilarious? It's sexual assault. You're too. You're too defensive. Fuck you. Like, um, <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> but okay. But that being said, yeah. Now to the like inward thing, and like, I've been like, thinking about this myself, like, and especially reading. Uh, I, I'm still going to pronounce her name incorrectly. Uh, Ijeoma Alu. Oh, I think is yeah. okay. Not Alua. Alua. I said Alua the first time. Alua. Yeah. yeah, and you know it's a thing where, and she talks about this in her book, where white people will demand of her why what they said is racist and offensive, and she's like, well, that's bullshit, and because they'll try and like each time, they'll like separate it out. So. Well, that in this one instance, this one context, I didn't mean it that way. And she has an anecdote in her book, which is, you know, if you're walking in a sidewalk, if this is how you walk, just swing your arms wildly all the time, and you punch someone, and the person goes, "Hey, you punched me." You can't go. Well, no, you haven't been punched before. I guess I didn't punch you. I just, it was an accident. It's like, no, you've been doing this the whole time. Stop telling the person they haven't been punched. It was an accident. Like, no, like, think about it in your own terms. So, and this, you know, again, I'm a white man, so I'm not the person to listen to about this. But when I hear this anymore, I want to go, tell me, I'll give a few examples of what Trump says. How is that not? intended to appeal to racists. Mm-hmm. And I haven't tried it yet, but I feel like maybe it would be better than the person going, you tell me why that's racist, because then they try and throw that back and like, you're the real racist here. Also, I can't speak for someone else's, you know, I can't speak for a black person. So I'm like, well, I've heard this is offensive. Like, tell me what you were trying to get across here that, and why it's not offensive. Right, right, and, and I, I, but, but just, just taking that, that question, question of, of um, 
We'll explain to you how it's racist. Yeah. That person is not going to be. They're, they're, they don't ask that question as being open to listen. Mm -hmm. That's that's going to that's immediately going to turn to. I didn't, I didn't mean that. that. You're You're full full yeah. Yeah. You know, like the question in itself is not an open question. It's it's defense. It's not a wait wait. I'm sorry. I I offended you. Please tell me how I offended you. Wait, I'm offended that you're offended by me. Explain yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You tell, you tell me, me how that's, how that's racist. racist. As opposed, As opposed to, like, to, like, I'm really sorry. sorry. Help me Help understand, understand mm -hmm. what I did wrong. Like, that, like that it's, 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 it's the same, same question, but, but the outcome and the premise are completely different. Yeah. And, yeah, she puts that in her book. I'll put, I'm going to try and do a better job of actually putting links to this stuff. So here's some, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, listeners. I'm going to start like listening to these and taking notes as I edit and going, oh, this has to go back into it as opposed to, because usually I'm like, got to get this up because I haven't had any up. I'm going to try and be more proactive in season two. I'm not making any guarantees because I'm, at least for September, still too busy. Michelle, I'm not going to have you reveal anything, but uh, <laughs> Michelle is very busy for good stuff. So um, I'll try and be more efficient and productive. But. I'm not saying to have any more time. Um, okay. From there, her plan to save slash destroy capitalism. I thought that was a good thing. Like, yeah. Lauren's plan to destroy capitalism. I saw that title pop up and I was like, fuck yeah. Let's do this, Elizabeth. What's going on, girl? I thought that was a good description because it, it's just, like, as I told you before, it's, it's trying to like, not reinvent capitalism, but just change the way we think about it. And then yeah, it's not yeah, just to drive also, wealth for individuals, it's to drive wealth for community. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, it's not, it's not just, um, it's not even just the way we think about capitalism, but actually changing the mechanisms behind mm -hmm. capitalism. Yes. So if you haven't heard about it or you haven't read anything about it, I would recommend at least checking out like the major bullet points. It's a pretty massive, like, proposal and a massive idea of how to change things but some of the particulars are about um basically giving some form of accreditation to corporations that are in the billion dollar range and that they have to apply a certain amount of tax but they also need to have a certain percentage of their their trustees and basically heads of board uh, be elected, elected by the employees. their employees, which, which that in and of itself is, is kind of unique. Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's almost, almost like a different way of approaching unionizing. Yep. Like, like instead, instead of a separate organization, organization fighting against the CEOs and the CFOs and stuff, it's like let's actually have representatives on the board of this company to represent basically employees' interests. So that's a unique idea. And Basically, Basically, it's it's restructuring it to where everybody who works for the corporation is invested and sees the rewards of growing productivity mm -hmm. and seeing it being put back into the pockets of the employees and not just into the pockets of the shareholders mm -hmm. and the owner of the business. So it's a, it's a very idealistic concept of, uh, you know, everybody... Uh, uh, reaping, reaping the rewards of hard work, mm -hmm. but it's but it's, but it's, but it's also, also it's a community approach to it. To it. Like, like like you said, it's about community investment and community um, 
gains, gains basically, basically from, from massive, massive yeah. business deals that happen. happen. I don't know. I think it's kind of intriguing. It is. I don't always necessarily fall in line with Elizabeth Warren. Um, but what I like about stuff like this is the idea is that all employees are essentially stakeholders. And so by getting to vote for board members, they may not own shares, but they have a decision in how the company operates. Because the board is going to decide how the CEO and how the executives are compensated. And if that's the case, like, yes, I can already hear people out there decrying this as populism has gone awry. Maybe. But because it's a vote-based and the shareholders still have a say, in a sense, it's more consensus as opposed to just letting it be... Uh, and what's I don't know whose uh, analogy it is, but the ship of state where you're having the people who man the uh, furnaces and like run the safe and everything not safe <laughs> the ship are uh, you know, seizing control from the captain actually knows what they're doing. It's going all right. Well, I'm gonna be on this level, but this kind of sucks. And the people in the middle of the company going, I kind of know a little bit more about what needs to run it. And people who actually only look at executives or can also do the same thing. He didn't plug it, did he? Okay, no, he just, he just did uh, headphones. No. Um, and same thing with like her resistance to TPP, where it was like, I kind of got the idea that her resistance to it wasn't that fair trade deals are shit, like a certain president we have. It was like, it just doesn't actually benefit people. And I heard the same thing from economists where they were like, yeah, I, I get the point of free trade, but this really isn't a free trade deal. This is protecting royalties and stuff like that and patents. And because I, for, believe me, I am all for increasing American hegemonic power in, in the Southeast Asia and parts of Asia where we can you know, have more of a say than China. I'm cool with that. But we have to have it be good policy where it actually affects people in like everyone in a good way, not just more not stuff where it helps the rich out. So I haven't read it, but I'll look into it. I'll put it up there. And I think this is where we should all be really looking is no matter your political stance, this is a good policy up there. Is Does this actually help? Mm-hmm. Because if your stance is that you just hate all things that come from one side. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be good, but it really should be. Well, does this actually help out? Because right now, corporate culture is kind of crappy, mm-hmm. and they tr- the original intent of paying executives in stock options was to actually try and boost corporate profits. But what it turned into was short-term gains by boosting the stock price whether or not it was going to help long-term. Um, yeah, if I'm sure... Have you seen the documentary that was on my computer when I opened up earlier? And we're on the smartest guys in the room? I have. It's been a few years. I have yeah. the book around here somewhere, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was kind of the same thing where, like, Ponzi schemes, basically, yeah. where you're trying to just make your quarter numbers, make your quarter numbers, and no matter if it's magic or not, you'll try and make it up later. And then when it's kind of like, oh, this thing is running out... Well, um, buy, yeah. and that's how companies go belly up. Like you could have as many auditing practices. You worked for an auditing company before, haven't you? Mm-hmm. In place, 
but I mean, the auditors just have the data in front of them that's kind of at the time. They can't forecast. And so if you're like, okay, in the case of Enron or WorldCom, you're stashing your debt in fake companies, which apparently uh, is Sorbanes-Oxley is supposed to help with. It still really isn't, though. It's, now companies are just finding new and creative ways to stash their profits and losses, um, which is why my friend was telling me that my idea for correcting income inequality as far as like taxing companies who pay executives over a threshold of like ratio to their lowest employees right. would just make way for massive cheating and loopholes. Like that's probably fair. So that's why when I hear about this idea, it's at least intriguing. It is. I don't know if it's sound policy, I but at least it's the idea behind it is that it's supposed to help everyone. Right. So whether or not it's sound it's we're we're talking about the right thing. Right. right. And, and even, even if it just creates like a conversation about that, that's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's, you know, businesses are run in such a way that it, you know, it, it's just about profitability, mm-hmm. which is the definition of a business. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. No. But to the detriment of all of your employees below you, and then even farther down the line, to the detriment of the company going into bankruptcy, and yet just a handful of people make a shit ton of money at the very top, like that doesn't seem right either. I like to think about this in the same kind of way that we're seeing how... I'm, I'm going here, I don't care, that... This kind of greed of the baby boomers has come back to haunt them, mm-hmm. where you know they got much better funding, public funding for like not just like primary education, but secondary education, college, like all this stuff. There was infrastructure in place, and there was all these spending programs. And as they started to age, we're going, "This sucks." Yeah. So we, you know, our generation, generation, because I don't. Know, I bounce between being a millennial and not, depending on the chart. Still, I've seen new ones. Yeah. And I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Like on the slightly older end of the spectrum, millennials, but we are still kind of millennials. Since I'm older than you, I'm like, right, still there. Like, I'm a millennial. I'm not a millennial. Even though, like, technically didn't graduate college until later, I think, in spirit, a millennial. But. I mean, this is a good point right here. So this house where we're talking from is a basement apartment of a duplex. It's not super nice, but it's decently spacious. I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. I didn't see this until Friday morning. Um, or sorry, yeah, Friday night. A man not too far from here uh, got himself shot. After police or SWAT team started a warrant on him in the wee hours of Thursday morning, and this is an area where, if you want to buy a house, you gotta have some money. And what we're seeing now is not only are um, baby boomers, we can't buy houses, which means that that's actually affecting. Tax base to help baby boomers who rely more on the government than we do. Right, right. And since we're not doing that, also up until really 
Obamacare, ACA, whatever you want to call it, was put into place. Their health insurance was costing more because there weren't young, healthy people in the insurance market. That's a better term. Um, and the ACA, even though the cost of gun, cost of gun was down for them. So that's what I think about when I think of how corporate culture is. They actually get hurt in the long run. Is for, well, not they, but like everyone knows by the short-sightedness because... We're not actually thinking about, okay, is my company going to last more than three or four quarters? Whatever, just give me your stock. Like, give me some dividends. Which... Give, me, give me $13 million. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Well, right now with the, whatever the hell they call Trump's tax plan, um, we're, we're seeing massive amounts of dividends paying up while actual salaries are increasing. Right, right. It's, it's the same thing. So I guess it's a long way of going back to, no, we need to have this discussion. Whether or not you agree with Elizabeth Warren, I think it's beyond um, like a, the conversation is done that doesn't work. The things that are coming out of the Republican Party right now, as far as are they even talking about income inequality? I feel like the majority of it is yes, the rich suck, but we're giving them more money still. Hey, but have you heard about immigrants? Yeah. And back to the thing about how is Trump racist? He started his campaign with calling Mexican immigrants or Central American immigrants rapists and murderers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And his the only policy he's been consistent about since his launching his campaign is building a pointless wall. Yeah. Which um, I believe was Geraldo Rivera who another person who gave away the game when he said this is about addressing essentially white anxiety about you know with demographics and stuff like that yeah so yeah it's a racist element well yeah let's uh (laughs) let's kind of toss this out there um most of trump's base is whether or not they're knowingly racist it is that White resentment, white anxiety, shifting mm-hmm. demographics. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing as a kid that, like, by the year whatever it was, um, the white people are going to be the minority. We're all going to be screwed. Yeah. Maybe just don't treat people like shit. Well, and that's interesting, too. So <laughs> you, the United States is still a white majority country, but if you poll people, they'll say it's not. Like and the middle class? They, say they are middle class, but they're not. But they're not. But the other component of that is that the people who fear being white minority, well, why do you fear being a minority? I've heard of it. Is it because minorities are treated bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I do. <laughs> because they, they say that minority people just play the race card all the time. It's like, yeah, but what if you actually become the demographic minority? Why do you fear that? Because we're minorities. You know what I mean? Like, the snake is eating its tail. The snake is eating its tail. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Because minorities are historically treated bad. And so that's why there's white anxiety about becoming the minority in this country. It's Mm -hmm. because they know how shitty they've been to minorities for the past 400 years. And, like, I guess you could say, like, better way of putting it is um, in, <laughs> and you might remember this author's name but while we're here um, uh-huh. 
who wrote Strangers in Their Own Land? Oh, I should know. Okay, so in Strangers in Their Own Land by... Uh, is it Abigail? Yeah. Arlie Russell? All right, we're both yeah. blind. Ar- Arlie Russell Hochschild. Arlie Russell Hochschild, who is a, I believe, a sociologist who teaches at the University of California, Berkeley, at least mm-hmm. when she wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the constant refrain she gets when talking with people who, this is, I found this fascinating reading this after the election of Trump, where the Republicans seem to believe that, like, Tea Party bullshit and Reaganism, like, conservatism was actually appealing to them. Yeah. Had nothing to do with it. Where they were just, um, this is the better part of what you were saying as far as, like, <laughs> minorities get treated like shit. They were just going, I don't have a problem with them. I just don't want them cutting in line. And they've, and that, I think that really kind of cuts to a point as well. Because it's this, I must preserve my perceived, whatever, not even perceived, like unacknowledged privilege. I don't even know how to even describe it in the pecking order. And so, like, if that's challenged, that means that someone got here through not good means. Like, this yeah. was, they didn't earn this. I earned it. Right. Which. As a basic human dignity. Mm-hmm. Should be earned. And I see but... this all the time with people like myself. White men, about my age, early mid-30s, who grew up in. It's funny, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, was I middle class? Was I affluent? I was somewhere in between there. Yeah. Because my dad worked his ass off, but he also had privilege himself because he's a white man with a college degree because his parents could afford it because not only just my grandfather was a white man with a college degree, but that college is much more affordable as we just mentioned back in the 60s and 70s. Um, Anyways, but yeah, so like, are you saying I haven't earned what I, like me talking or my friends talking you say, I haven't earned what I've got in life. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying you need to at least recognize the privilege part of it as well. Like, I'm not saying you haven't worked hard. I'm not saying that someone else hasn't worked harder. I'm just saying that you got some steps up in life. And I'm not saying you have to, like, knock yourself down. Or, like, I love this too. Like, why don't you give them your job? Or, like, people that are, like, when you talk about socialism or democratic socialism or anything well why like why don't you give your money away it's not what we're talking about here the conversation is as you said making it equitable so everyone else can like get to the same point with not even the same amount of ease but let's just like make it easier access and that's not line cutting yeah it's not it's just that like you're not like rather than preserving your spot in line you're just going let's all get the same spot Yes, it's, it's, it's a bad analogy, but no, no, no. I don't, I don't think it is. Because I think, I think, I think that's, that's how that line money goes. goes. And, and it's, I think, I think that's, that's a perspective on life, life in the world, which is very wrong. wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the gross, gross game that, that there's mm-hmm. only so, so much, much of the pie, and if, and if you're getting, getting some, it means I'm getting less. less. And that to me is complete and utter bullshit. We live in a time. Plenty. Mm-hmm. 
and just, and just because, because somebody, somebody gets something, something does not mean you're getting less. Indeed. I don't, I don't, I don't see, see it that way. way. Never, never have. First of all, if this was online, you'd get some sort of like, like emoji or something response <laughs> to that. Um, second, I feel like we've been doing this, I think, all night where we're like, we're flipping conversations, not conversations, but like talking points, like back around. Yeah. And what have we heard in regards to trickle-down economics or like all this stuff? It's that if the rich make more, we can still make more. It's the, the pie is huge and we can all get as much as we want as long as we work hard. But in this, I thought he got released. Uh, but no, like in saying that you're admitting that there is infinite amount of pie and you're saying i want my piece and don't you dare touch it unless you're a wealthy white person because that that is fine like the shift of uh wealth from just about everybody to the one percent has been happening democrat republican for decades we don't worry about that. It's just as long as the right people, which, what does that rhyme with? Yes. <laughs> Get a bigger slice of the pie. Right, which makes no sense to me. It's like, if the pie is infinite, shouldn't everybody get a chance to sit at the table? Or at least walk down the cafe with like decent education and health care, and, and, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, like being denied access, access to, to opportunity. opportunity. That's, That's where, where we start to start to because then it really is so exclusive. Mm -hmm. None of us really get anything. So maybe to your point, too, of uh, people acknowledging that we treat minorities like shit mm -hmm. are going, <clears throat> well, if I give up my position of power then I'm going to be the person that gets half the slice of pie versus someone else. Right. And this is where, again, I guess I'm taking the populist uh, kind of bent here, but I don't understand this need to argue over making sure that the people who have the majority of the pie get to keep it and let's fight all the scraps. Yeah. I'm not saying let's go after all the pie or like destroy it industry of the proletariat kind of thing oh my brother the communist right? <laughs> like, let's roll as we'll roll and we'll all get everything what i always talk about people especially republican friends is that like i believe in these things because they're always like you're a crazy leftist i'm not a crazy leftist <laughs> in fact like in a lot of ways i'm sometimes a conservative like it's weird to think about i kind of float back and forth yeah uh, it's just that it was like policy, making sure that like things are actually helping people, everyone. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just goes back to, and I know American exceptionalism can kind of be like a, a fraught term. Yeah. But I believe that America is good enough that we can come up with policies as Americans that can actually not only be good for everyone here, but should be able to influence the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with, you know, especially with the election of our current president and people defending him, we're getting away from that. 
It's that we've been fucked over by everyone else. Let's make sure we get our shit straight for us and let's go from there as opposed to maintaining this idea that we we can be better than we are. And if we keep striving to be better than we are right now, we can expand that to the whole world. And that's where like I feel like our writers like uh, Jonah Goldberg are kind of coming from. It's just like, I think I told you about the interview you did with Trevor Noah, where it was sort of like, you know, his, his latest book, Jonah Goldberg, Goldberg's book is Suicide of the West. It's saying we shouldn't throw this stuff overboard as far as like the things that the West has given to the world, which as we said before, discovering lands that they already, you know, there's already people there. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we brought civilization to these places. They were doing shit that we didn't think they could do. Um, humans tend to quote, uh, Jeff Goldblum can find a way or do find a way or everyone finds a way really. But, you know, just this idea that we can keep moving forward and moving forward with everybody else and not because I think Jonah Goldberg was saying like that the left in particular is trying to throw this stuff overboard in some sort of like failed attempt at equality is not the right word because that makes him sound terrible. Um, but is trying to throw it overboard in the attempt to really kind of fix the problems that we have is get rid of the stuff that's good. I don't think it's the case at all. It's like going, no, because this is what Trevor Noah says. Yes. We've created these mechanisms like capitalism can be good when it works for everybody. But what he felt that Goldberg was getting to the point of is these things have not trickled down, for lack of a better term, or even been accessible to different races, different sexes, different groups for our entire history. And that's been the struggle is trying to get that there. It's not a like struggle of whether or not this stuff has been successful. It's whether or not it's been successful for everyone. Right. Because part of that global hegemony, America's exceptionalism, like, like that sounds so lovely when you talk about it. Or a political science major. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's just, just that, that it sounds, sounds so good as, as, as an idea, idea and, and, and on, on paper. And it comes with bad shit. We've done a horrible, horrible job, job of living up to those ideals. So, so it's not it's not, it's not about, about like, if this, if this is the agreed upon mechanism in which we are going to be in a globalized civilization, like why not why not try to live up to those ideals in which there is plenty to go around. And our success as a nation, as a leader, which the United States still is. Mm -hmm. For now. Right. Whether you think that's good or not, you know, that could be a debate, but in a state of the world, that's how it still is. Why, why, why wouldn't we want to try to live up to those better expectations? Why wouldn't we want to try to live up to creating a better peace and a better, you know, an egalitarian experience for all of mankind? Because you know what? There's plenty of pie. There's so much to go around. And, and I, I, you know, you know, if that's, if that's the world that we're going to live in, like, like wouldn't why wouldn't you want it to be the better version of that, of that instead of just instead, instead of just taking, taking the worst components of it and, and exacerbating that. that? I totally agree. And this um, we'll probably sound because I think your voice is going to kind of wink like mine. Um, you know, thinking about in the context of space force <laughs> and. It, this may be completely incorrect because I was born in 1983 
and not 1953, 1943, 1963 even, although I wouldn't have known the speech if I was born in 1963, is when Kennedy challenged America to put... We'll just go with the pronouns here. A man on the moon. This was an appeal to American exceptionalism, an appeal to aspirationalism is really what it was. And for as many problems that there were... In the face of nuclear holocaust. And a country that was segregated and there was... It wasn't a utopia. That's what I hate hearing about like this history. Do you know what was going on back then? From history books, yeah, it wasn't great. But this was an appeal to the better parts of ourselves. And this is the exact opposite of Trumpism. This is... Let's go insular. Let's go into ourselves. Let's make sure we get what we need. And not even as a country, but like as individuals. And let's, you know, call our allies deadbeats. Let's abandon, you know, basically the spheres of American influence throughout the globe because it's costing us money. And the richest nation in all of human history. For a thing that, because there's a David Cross bit about this where he's talking about, this is the Bush years. And Bush had himself, uh, Bush was basically Trump 1.0. <laughs> you know, he was. I was going to say beta 0.5 yeah, or something. Yeah. Like three. I mean, granted, the war. Never mind. I, think, I shouldn't even. Yeah. I think this goes without saying, I think Bush is the actual better human being, but it was the same kind of thinking where. This is what I want to do. Go find out. Or go find my information that will prove my point. Confirm what I want to do. Yeah. So when he had his two wars going horribly, an economy that even before the recession was stagnating for years. Yep. Uh, you know, even the dot com bust. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Basically, a prolonged recession that went even further. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. decided that we're going to send a robot to the moon, and this is from the actual David Cross uh, bit. Okay. Where he's he's joking that like oh I lived by the refineries in Houston and uh, my children have terrible asthma we're hoping to have some money for medication. I'm sorry, we're sending a robot to the moon. <laughs> and, oh, that is comforting. And like basically goes on to like oh I'm sorry you you thought you were coming? No, the meek inherit the earth like is the like punchline of that joke. But so. I thought that was incredibly stupid at the time and very much a like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. We're going to the moon! Like, yeah. what? This is all fucked up right now. Yeah. And then Space Force comes along and it's called Space Force. <laughs> and he goes to his rallies and just mutters the term, like, Space Force, Space Force, Space Force. There's no money for it. They're talking about how our closest, what was it? lunar neighbor is the moon which of course our closest moon is going to be our moon yeah the closest moon is the moon yeah. <laughs> and then just ha- space force it, like, no, like, is this the same reaction that people had to star wars in the 80s i don't think so actually no i, I should talk about it. sorry no i yeah, yeah to reagan reagan's Thing. Well, I don't know because, I, like, I heard some people talk about. We should look into that later. Yeah. 
but I do know that Reagan has since gotten credit for basically clashing the Soviet Union by spending so much money they couldn't keep up. And so that's the idea behind Star Wars is sure the technology was bad. I don't think that was his original plan, but uh, that's what the credit goes for now. Well, Reagan gets lots of credit. It's true. And again, uh, speaking of like early versions of Trump, I'm not saying Reagan's an asshole or anything, but he basically was a very good public speaker and they would put lines in his hand and he would walk in front of somebody. And even when he said stupid shit, it sounded comforting. So almost like he was an actor or something. Yeah. I'll talk about this with you like after we finish the recording because I feel like we're going too far, but I'll, I want to show you something. Um, is there anything else you want to cover while we're in the same room? I guess we can go tomorrow morning. Yeah, 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 we could yeah. record tomorrow, tomorrow too. This has been super fun. Yes, it has. <laughs> Even though we really screwed awesome. up the technology, which is my bad for not working on it before you got here. I, but... I think it's technology is bad. Yeah. That was way too complicated. No, I, 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 I think we're good. Should we record this week? We should. I should think, think mine's probably the same as yours, though. Yeah? Yeah. Go for it. So my good thing of the week is Michelle is in Seattle. She's staying in. Uh, we're at the same desk where I record the intros by myself. I edit. I record with her via the computer. She's using my laptop to pull up information. She's petting the crazy dog that you hear in the background. We uh, saw like some cool stuff in Seattle today when I was able to break away because yesterday I had to work. And yeah, it's just it's super cool to have you here. Yep. And I hope you. Uh, I haven't always enjoyed this city. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's got problems and it's expensive, but like, yeah, I like it here, and like that's why like. Have had a chance to move back before, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. I would agree with you. That's my good thing of the week too. It's I came in with no expectations of any kind, and it's been a blast. The city is cool. It is crazy town. We're in a suburb, so it's a little cooler, but like it's so much more chill out here. It is in the downtown area, and I consider myself, you know, you know. Pretty well, well mm -hmm. traveler, traveler, and, and Seattle is its own beast. beast. Um, but it's, but it's, it's been super cool. Saw a lot, a lot of great, great stuff. stuff. And it's been, been fun being, being in, the in the same room, room yeah. with you for a podcast. It's weird. <laughs> I know. I think we got like used to it more towards the end. At first, it was like, hey, we're, this is where we're in. <laughs> yeah, what are we Especially because, you know, we are, this is our second season of the show now. It is. And we haven't been in the same room with each other for, like, what, five years? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so just doing all of the telecommuting kind of stuff is, yeah, crazy. But this is cool. I like it. We'll have to do it again. We will do it again. Yes. Next year. Early next year. That's right. That's right. We will. It'll be great. All right. So with that. We'll sign off for now. We might be recording tomorrow, but yeah, for now we're signing off. Uh, so, <laughs> thanks, Michelle, for being in the same room. Here. <laughs> thanks, Noel, for housing me for this. You're welcome. Let's sign off. And... <laughs> Thank you, folks. If you stuck it out with the terrible audio problems, that are really my fault. 
I thank you so much. This is season two. We look forward to some great conversations. If you have any feedback, hit us up. Nolmac at thestrangetonic.com. I hope to have some more, not just podcast content for you, but blog content. Thank you. Let's do this. 